Hi and welcome. Now, for some time now, we've been opening our eyes to the pitfalls of the mainstream media's fear-driven obsession with national and state-based property markets that actually don't exist, along with a reliance on aggregated median property prices that are at best misleading and at worst downright dangerous. Because, as we know, the devil's always in the local detail when it comes to property condition trends. So where do you turn and what property information do you actually need to access in order to make better informed property decisions based on more relevant and more useful data? Well, to discuss this, we're joined by one of Australia's best and most respected property data analysts, Kent Lardner, the founder of Suburb Trends, who has recently released a report on the hardest five markets to measure house prices right now. So welcome back to the show, Kent. Thank you, Bushy. Thanks for the invite. Mate, uh, this is a great subject that's close to both of our hearts, so we're pretty keen to, to dive into this one. Uh, let's kick off with your opinion on the usefulness or otherwise of the most commonly used suburb medium to measure property price trends. Yeah, one of the biggest problems uh, I've always found is uh, the use and abuse of a suburb median. Uh, one of the, the probably the, what really kicked this off were there were a number of suburbs that were on these top 10 lists the top growth suburb, we've all seen them. And a couple of them were areas where they were old farms and old shacks and whatnot on main roads. And they, it was a redeveloped site. Um, and it was Fern Bay, just north of Newcastle. Yeah. And it made the top of the list for a long time. And it was because it came off a base that were, you know, a number of properties purchased for two or 300K and then were selling for 500K. Um, and there's a number of these happening around the country. So that was the catalyst for me. So what's the problem? The problem is uh, we don't really have a true measure of what it was a year ago or, or even a month ago and what it is now. And we've got this problem of compositional bias. Now, I'll start at a suburb level. The problem we've got at a suburb level is uh, the assumption is it needs to be normally distributed. It yep. needs to have most of its sales in the middle and uh, you know, tailing off either side. The old bell and curve. The old bell curve. And yep. the, the problem you've got, and it's most perfectly illustrated along the beaches. So if you go to a beach-sized suburb, you've got one market that sits along the beach, and then you've got a market that sits walking distance to the beach and then the other. And a lot of these suburbs that are long suburbs, i.e. they don't stretch along the coastline, but they've got that little patch that sits near the beach and then stretch back one or two or three kilometres backwards. It's pretty easy for you to imagine that there are three distinct markets. When you look at the price distribution of these suburbs, you can clearly see market one, market two, market three in three different distributions. So when you're measuring the median there, it only takes a little bit of a shift in what's listed for sale at the bottom end or a little bit of a shift on what's listed for sale at the top end to have a dramatic impact on the median. So that's that thing I call the compositional bias. The problem with that compositional bias is you can jump at shadows. Yeah, spot on. And if you, you go through a, a period where there's very few sales, then again, you can get distortions that are coming out of that uh, when you're trying to join the dots and draw lines across a period of time. Exactly. And, and there are measurement systems that try and control some of those variable things. You may have heard of hedonic indices, et cetera. You can control for things such as a bedroom, you know, pulling in comparable sales and adjusting for how big a house is and whatnot. You can apply a coefficient to adjust for a bedroom count and effectively normalize the whole lot. But 
you can't control for the fact that there's going to be listings that come in that are at the top end of town and then they're not there again. So you can't can control for everything. So compositional bias exists no matter what you try, it exists and you need to just call it out. And I think the biggest thing is to kind of appreciate it exists and then look for ways to remedy it without only relying on a suburb median. And what I've attempted to do is to find the Goldilocks, which is uh, what I call a, what the ABS call a statistical area three, SA3. So the Australian Bureau of Statistics created its own set of geographies. The smallest ones around 200 homes, and they call that an SA1. And yep. like a Lego, that plugs into an SA2, which is about, give or take, about three suburbs big. And then the SA2s plug into what's called an SA3. And across the country, give or take, there's about 350 of those. So I use that as my measure because we used to all use LGAs, local government areas, in the day. But the problem is Brisbane turned into the blob and aggregated and kept on going. So it became the, the biggest, you know, LGA in history. Yes. And it's and some of those LGAs as biggest states. It's a monster, right? So <laughs> and then the Gold Coast did the same thing. So it almost became irrelevant to measure. Um, at an LGA level because of Brisbane. It's too big. And you know, anyone who knows Brisbane, it's a lot of markets. Yeah. Whereas the SA3 carves it up uh, in, in, I believe, a fairly perfect size. So yeah. I use SA3s for my median. In most cases, they're normally distributed, but it's not always, not always. And there is there, there are problems there, which is the foundation of that report. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, let, let's sort of drill into some of the other approaches that can be adopted to measure house price trends and and talk about some of the pros and cons of them. Yes, the, probably the one that stands out, and we I tried building this, or we did build it back in the day, 15, 20 years ago, um, called a repeat sales index, or the Case-Shiller methodology. Now, this is widely used in the United States. What it does is it takes a property and then tracks its history through time. And so what you need for it to enter the data set or the sample to be used and measured is two sales, sale one, sale two, and time in between. So yep. what that tells you is property A grew by a certain size over a certain amount of time. Once you put them all into a bucket, you can slice it and dice it and come up with an average growth rate by a given geography. Yep. So in principle, that sounds great because it does control for a lot of that compositional bias. You're measuring the same thing exactly the same thing through time in theory. There are a couple of gotchas and a couple of reasons why it hasn't worked that well in Australia. Um, our whole period's been getting longer and longer and longer. Good point. So, and our sample sizes get quite small in certain geographies. So in America, it seems to work quite well. For rentals, it works quite well in Australia because rentals come back on every three or four years. But for sales, it hasn't worked that well. Yes, it can work well for units because units have a lower hold period. Right. But by and large, we don't have this type of measurement problem when it comes to units. Most of this measurement problem pertains to houses. Good point. Good point. Any other approaches then and the pros and cons of Yeah, the, well, the other approach is the hedonic uh, index or the hedonic approach. Now, I won't mention any particular brand or any company, but the approach there is similar to the way an AVM works. Effectively, if you, you pick the same sample of properties uh, is one method, and you use an AVM to value that same sample of properties through time. And then you measure that median. That controls for the fact that there might be sales that come in that bigger or smaller than that house that you're valuing with an automated valuation model. Um, and that 
is automatically adjusted for. So that's that hedonic adjustment. And then if you control that sample through time and you hold the same properties through time, you get a little bit of the best of both worlds. You get the best of the hedonic, you get the best of the repeat sales, but none of these are perfect. Yeah, okay. So picking amongst those, which do you believe is the, the best and most useful method uh, to apply? Uh, look, I, I like the simple SA3 median. The reason why I like to use it, it's because it's easy to explain. So there's no smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Um, and also you can capture and use uh, agent advised sales. So you get an early reading on the market. So with a lot of models that rely very much on data that's processed through the state governments, you've got a significant lag there. So typically what you'll find, the law of large numbers traditionally means that um, as you collect your sales, you land on the median pretty quickly and it shouldn't vary from that. So if it's normally distributed, you don't need 100% of sales to land on the median. You need a st statistically relevant sample. And in most cases, agent advice sales do represent more than 50% of total sales. So agents right. will push their sales out there quickly. You can collect that and measure that at an SA3 level and arrive at the median very, very quickly. Yeah, I like it, I like it. Well, let, let's uh, have a look at the report that you've recently released. What are some of the hardest housing markets to measure uh, this year and why, Kent? Yeah, so this is a snapshot in time. So I did this report as of uh, listings in August. So what the call out here too is that this volatility varies month to month. So what was relevant and what is relevant for August is not always going to be guaranteed for the future months. So as of that particular time, here's a couple of call outs. Um, I'll, I'll list down the areas and I'll drill into a couple of them uh, specifically. So we've got Brisbane Inner City, Broad Beach Burley, so we're in Queensland, Eastern Suburb South, which is Sydney, Port Phillip down in uh, Melbourne, and the Southern Highlands. So you know, in you know the the nice area of the Southern Highlands, uh, in in probably I don't know about an hour and a half uh, west of Sydney. Got it. Maybe two hours. Um, so the one I wanted to focus on specifically, Broad Beach Burley, this is really interesting. What I tried to do is measure, I, I come up with a measurement system to tell me if that compositional bias existed or exists at the SA3 level. Okay. And the best I could come up with was to say, here is the SA3 median. Let's split the suburbs into above the median and below the median and then count their listings. And therefore, if I see a significant shift above or below or into those suburbs that are above the median or below the median, that will give me a, a, a reasonable proxy for what type of bias might be in the measurement in the months, months to come. Yeah, so that. here's Broad Beach Burley, Mermaid Beach and Broad Beach waters were above the SA3 median. And they had a reduction in listings against their, their you know, so effectively the, the six-month average they had a reduction of 10, but the suburbs of Mermaid Waters, Miami, Burley Waters and Burley Heads, they had an increase of 19 listings. So it was quite a significant shift there. So quite an imbalance between the above and the below. So I'd expect that once those listings end up selling, there's going to be a compositional bias down to give me some level of artificial decrease in that price for that particular market. Yeah, it's interesting. And the, the sort of 
uh, buyer in, or seller intentions behind the properties in terms of their values. You might you might get those at at a higher price point who are thinking, well, we'll just we'll just sit tight, we'll hold, and then others at the lower that are that are more active. Is is that having an influence? Do you think? There's some. I have to make some assumptions as to that because you know the idea would be that I could get on the phone and call the agents. That's what I'd love to do. I just <laughs> you know don't have that time to do it, but that would be the ideal because I can describe the what. Uh, what's going on, but the why ultimately is really the 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 discussions with the the buyers and the sellers. Um, so yeah, I, I have an assumption. I've always held the assumption that uh, the blue chip markets, especially, um, people will hold. They don't have to sell. They're smart people. They're in a multi million dollar property for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very good call, mate. But so for, for those that have, uh, you know, you've really captured their interest, where where can they get a copy of the Hardest Five Markets to Measure House Street Prices Report? Yeah, it's a free download on suburbtrends.com. Just go to the homepage and scroll down. Yeah, awesome, mate. Look, I uh, really want to thank you again for these very timely insights, Ken, and thanks again for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Bushy. Awesome, Ken. Well, here is yet more evidence that trying to read the tea leaves of property trends and basing your property decisions on non-existent property markets that revolve around suburb median price movements is likely to be close to meaningless and misleading. So if you want to tap into much more relevant and useful data, take advantage of Kent's complete suite of property reports that you can access now at suburbtrends.com. Stay with us for more here on your place for all things property, Realty Talk.